0: There is a lot going on around Scottsdale Bible Church. And I hope you caught the neighborhood night. You know, everybody looks at that, goes, that's October 31st is another holiday. I tried to submit Hallelujah Ween, but it didn't go over quite as well uh, on that night. But you know, a lot of things going around around here, and that's a good thing, because the bottom line is that we're not an organization, we're not a club people come to, we're a living church. An organism moving and breathing in the messiness of this fallen world, we bring truth and a light. And the bottom line is all about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything that we can do short of sin to reach people for eternity and for the kingdom, we've got to be willing to do it. You as a church, you respond. You've responded here at Scottsdale Bible Church to your leaders and to the leadership as they seek God's wisdom on what direction that we want to go as a church. A couple of years ago, we started a, a journey. It was a, We called it a campaign, but it's really been a very exciting journey. In fact, it's one of the reasons that Karen and I agreed to come to Scottsdale Bible Church, Compelled by Grace, do you remember that? We're still in the midst of, of that journey, but the, the point of that is that, that we, as we walk in step and in stride with God's spirit, we live lives that are nothing short of compelling. That, that people look at the way we're doing life, not being perfect, but having this genuine, authentic relationship to a living God who's changing us. And it's the change that our neighborhoods and our friends and those in our spheres of influence, that's what they see. They're not looking for some some great, perfect debate that's going to convince them of Jesus. They're looking for what happens when you go through hardship. How do you handle that? How do you deal with, with life? And so on this campus, you see a lot of changes going on. As part of our Compelled by Grace journey, we wanna leave a legacy for those that will come after us. We wanna create a space here, not as a monument, but as a tool to create a thriving environment where our children can come and experience the same living Christ that we have tasted and seen and that we're experiencing in our own lives, and so we wanna leave a legacy. You saw and you heard Jessica talk about as we push out to reach deeper into our community to those large, that 87% of Scottsdale that is not connected in any church for that matter. And so part of our leader's strategy is to push out, we've tried to grow bigger by actually growing smaller. Out here across the campus, as we meet right now, our venue and our chapel services are taking place. A little bit of a smaller community where people can still have that intimacy, but reach out. We've pushed it out with our multi-site campuses. Two years ago, Rick Holman and a, a group of you said, you know what, we've been part of BIG, we've been part of this campus, Now we want to go out into our own community. Some of you drive a long way to come here. I talked to some of you this morning. I met some people who drove up from Chandler and Tempe. That's a long way, and that might be good for you as you are trying to grow and be part of this. But when you want to reach your neighbor for Christ, and you want to invite them to drive 40 minutes with their truckload of kids, not likely they're going to do that. But if we could transplant your experience here into your neighborhood, That's what we want to do. Cactus is doing that west of here. And most of you know, as Jessica said, that we just are putting the finishing touches on a new campus north of here. I said we pride ourselves on being the hardest church to find, but we have covered parking, right? It's up in Perimeter Park. Ask me later. But if you feel or you sense God's spirit moving, you said, you know what? I've been well fed here. I have been filled up. We've been connected here. Uh, We're ready to make a sacrifice. Is that spirit nudging you a little bit to say, we want to go be a part of this little body? Again, growing bigger by growing smaller in that 85255 zip code or the surrounding area. We're praying that God would send 100 families over there who say we're ready to roll up our sleeves, to reach our neighbors more than with with glow sticks, but with our very lives because we want to reach our community. The last thing of, of our compelled by grace you saw last week The third component is impacting our world. You saw over 40 missionaries come from all over the globe and they stood right here on this platform as we celebrated, not them going so much as that we were all a part of that. They're not up here if you're not participating through prayer and the resources that you're sending And, and some of you that are going out as teams that go out to impact our world. That's compelled by grace. That's the church being the church. Thank you for that. 2,000 years later, you were the fruit of a little group of people that saw, as we participated in the Lord's Supper, and we remembered Jesus dying on a cross, there was a small band, a sort of a remnant, really, after Jesus died that we hanging out going, now what do we do? At Mountain Valley, as we prepare for our October 26th kickoff, we've been going through a little series in the book of Acts. So if you brought a Bible with you this morning, I want you to open to Acts chapter 1, And what we see here is a little band of followers who are maybe a little scared. Their king was killed on a cross. He had risen again. You can imagine the emotions being jerked around that they thought Jesus was going to come and do one thing, even though he told them that he was going to give his life, but they didn't fully understand until it actually happened. And you can imagine how devastated those early followers were as they thought, no, our king, All those people who rejected Christ, they they were right. He wasn't the guy. So we have to keep waiting and praying for this Messiah that was prophesied about from our prophets years, thousands of years earlier, hundreds of years earlier. But then to their amazement, he rises from the dead. And they're cheering, this is great, our king has overcome death. No one has ever done that. Jesus overcomes death. And then in Acts chapter one, he's floating up into heaven. Like, can you imagine the emotions He said something about being with us always. He said something about going and waiting for this spirit that he did talk about in John chapters 14 through 17. He talked about this Holy Spirit, but they wouldn't understand spirit, God in us. Remember, that was a Greek culture back then. Their view of gods were Poseidon and and Zeus, guys that would carry like a moon on their shoulders or arrows flaming Thunderbolts, and they saw people as just little minions to be toyed with, but the, the Spirit of God in us was a concept that they could not fully grasp. What happened at the cross? What was his resurrection all about? What does it mean that we're to go and make disciples, baptize people, and teaching them to follow, to obey? And how is he, that gonna work when he's gonna be with us always if he's gone? Luke would say that this was only the beginning. Jesus said that we would do greater things than he'd ever done, really, really? Greater things than walking on water? Greater things than healing people with incurable diseases, really? It was only the beginning. His disciples are told to wait for this power that would come, this power called the Holy Spirit. All of the Jews would be gathered in Jerusalem for the second of three great festivals, this Pentecost, that they would be celebrating. People from every tribe, every language, every known area would be gathered here for this festival of the Jewish nation. And isn't it like, God, in a place like that to say, now I'm gonna show you my power. I'm gonna show you what I mean when I said I'm gonna be with you always, and there's a sound of rushing wind. Wind that's so loud that people wondered, this has got to be something supernatural. And then there were these wild flames that looked like tongues resting on God's people and they began to speak in languages that everybody understood. Wait a minute, there are so many different languages here but how can we understand what these guys are saying in our language? And Peter gives what essentially is known as our first sermon ever preached, telling people to repent, to change their mind about this Jesus they saw die on the cross change their mind to turn to follow Him, to be baptized into Him, to go public. And this Holy Spirit that you're seeing manifested in us, He promises that same Spirit to be in you. And it tells us in Acts chapter one and two that all the people were amazed. And so Acts begins to talk about this Holy Spirit. And so few of us really grasp what that means. I think we get the God thing, right? All powerful creator of all. I get that. I understand that there's something beyond any of our understanding. He is omnipotent. He is omniscient. He's omnipresent. He's the God above all. We can we can sort of get our head around that. Most of us get it. We understand Jesus. I mean, history tells us that there was a man who came, walked, and and lived. We have more... Uh, historical evidence of the existence of Christ and even we have of Abraham Lincoln. I mean, too many witnesses saw what took place. Jesus was real, and as followers of Christ, we get that, don't we? We get what it means to be a Christian. But then the spirit thing, it gets all kind of crazy. And some of us are sort of hiding back, sort of saying, I'm not sure how this works. Some of us are even leery because we've seen the way the spirit has been manifested for the last two thousand years, or at least the way people have interpreted that to happen. We're told about spiritual warfare, and we know in that spiritual realm that the enemy can also operate, and so we see it as a bastion for a lot of confusion. And so, how does the Spirit really work? What does that look like? In chapter one of Acts, we're told the Father is going to send the Spirit. In chapter two, God shows how the Spirit came to people. When we come to chapter three. And I want to spend a few moments here this morning in chapter 3 because I think we get an incredible demonstration of how the Spirit works. You might want to put an asterisk or a little star in chapter 3 because this really is a critical passage in your Bible. Because the way God dealt with people back then, and get this, He's the same God. It's the way He deals with people today. That's why this is so important that we look at this. There's a couple of guys, Peter and John, who are going to sort of allow that Spirit's power. They're going to see how it works. And I think we can draw some things here, develop a little bit of a blueprint to see how the Spirit works in our lives today. So if you're here this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've committed your life to Him, admitted your sin Put him on the cross. You believe that the death he paid was for you, bloodshed for you. You've committed your life to be his fully devoted follower. You're a Christian. And the Bible describes right here that the spirit of God, not just a little part of him, but his spirit indwells you. That's an incredible concept. Now, do you think God put his spirit in you so that you wouldn't be noticed in the world? No. No. God puts his living spirit in us so that we live our lives differently. Not to, you know, you know, debate people into the kingdom, but as you live your life with a whole different view, a whole different purpose, people are gonna see God's spirit in you and they're gonna be drawn toward God. That's why it's so critical that we try to understand what this is all about, to put our presuppositions that we might have of how this Spirit works to the side and learn from how it actually happens. So look with me in Acts chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. I want to look at the first 11 verses here to see what happens when the Spirit shows up through Peter and John. Acts 3, 1 says, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, that would be about three in the afternoon, and a man lame from birth was being carried Whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate to ask alms of those entering the temple. He was begging for money. Verse 3 says, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked them that he might receive money. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. This is the moment. He's going, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. He was excited. He was expecting to receive something. Can you imagine the downer when Peter looked at him and said, look at me. I ain't got anything. <laughs> Could you imagine? I don't have anything. What a letdown. And then to the layman's amazement, he says, But what I do have, I give you. And he says this incredible thing In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Can you picture the scene? He takes them by the hand and he rises up. Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong and leaping up he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Verse 11 says, "While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together with them to this place, the portico called Solomon's. Amazing. And I think as we look at these first 11 verses, we have kind of a blueprint of how God might work through His spirits. See you think many of us get enamored. As soon as we see a miracle, it's like everything's off. Just looking, we just look and we focus on this miracle. Wow! And some of us think if the spirit of God is to move in our life, it's got to be something miraculous, because that'll validate that it was from God. And I'll tell you, when the spirit of God works, I mean very few times, it's miraculous. He can do that if he wants, but it's so not the point. The point of the spirit moving is that people would see God and how He works, and it would lead people to what we talked about, what we're all about, at Scottsdale Bible Church, the gospel, the good news that people would come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I I think of Peter when he looked at this blind, lame man and said, look at me. You ever wonder what he might be thinking? They just had this incredible experience with a a living God, Jesus holding to his promise, filling them in a way they never saw coming, but experiencing that incredible power. Peter, who'd blown it a couple of times before now, was focused like a laser beam. He was filled and he was bold and he was Renewed, But I'd love to ask him, at that moment as you were going into the temple and you saw this person interrupting your day, what were you thinking? Did you have the end in mind there? And I think the answer to that is, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think God said to Peter, okay, point one, when you see somebody, make sure they look directly at you. That's what you have to do. Get eye contact because if you don't do that, the spirit's not going to move right? Secondly, we want you to do B, C, and D, and then my spirit's going to move. I don't think so. But I think there's one thing that we can draw from here when we're thinking about a blueprint of how the spirit moves in our lives, is that we can be assured that Peter was exercising his faith. You see, faith, by its very definition, doesn't it, don't you think, it entails risk. Faith says, I I don't see it. I'm not sure how it's going to work out, but I'm going to, I'm going to go here. That's what faith is. And Peter just stopped. I doubt he had the end in mind when he stops. He just sort of went for it. He just sort of dove in. Do you know people that are like that? They just go for it. My wife is like that. She looks at a project. She has a vision for a room. She'll look at it and say, eight bucks and a can of paint, I'll transform this. All I see is eight bucks, a can of paint, doesn't match, something else has got to get fixed, something gets broken along the way, $8,000 later, you've transformed it. So I, I never do anything in our house. <laughs> Karen's my handyman. She fixes things. She transforms things because she just dives right in. And it's an adventure to her. Yeah, she starts with an $8 can of paint, and it might be 8 She might even get it on sale. Or it might be $8,000, but the room is transformed. And, you know, with me, nothing ever gets started in, this, in, in my life. And I wonder if... I wonder if many of us approach our Christian life the same way, holding out, waiting, saying, let me see how the spirit thing plays out. Let me see what's gonna happen. And we fail to do what we've been commanded to do, and that is to go, and we fail to be, we fail to obey, we fail to jump in and trust his spirit. And so what happens? Nothing. And you sit back and go, see, I knew nothing was gonna happen. I'm not gonna be part of that. When the reason it didn't happen was because you didn't jump in. And so God didn't choose to use you in that way. A few things that we learn as our blueprint, just four things I want to share with you today. The Spirit uses people. What kind of Spirit does the people, or what kind of people does the Spirit use? I think one of the things we learn from here, if you're taking notes, you might want to write down people who are focused on the things of God. People who are focused on the things of God. Peter and John, they were going into the temple. They didn't write off the Old Testament. They didn't tear it out of their Bible. They were following the Old Testament law, going into the temple at the prescribed time of prayer. John 14 to 17, as I mentioned earlier, Jesus would talk to his, or did talk to his disciples about this Holy Spirit that would come. And in the context of those chapters, Jesus said this, that if you love me, you'll what? Obey me. If you love me, then you're gonna obey me. See, Jesus always connects God's using us the spirit of God filling us with one word: obedience. We live in a day when people love to see things happen now. I want to see Jesus or His spirit like a genie in the bottle. I want it to rub. I want it to come out. I want to control it. After two wishes, my third one is to wish for more wishes, so that this genie keeps perpetuating itself to do my bidding. The spirit doesn't work that way. The Spirit will always work, if you notice in your Bible, as we are connected to God and we're obeying God and the Spirit gives us certain things to help us accomplish the work of God. And it's always about Him. Peter and John weren't doing away with the old. They saw Christianity as a completion of the old covenant. So they were being obedient to the law. And so here's another aspect of your blueprint. You want to see God move in your life? You wanna see a spirit move in your life? We need to be people of obedience. Not perfection, but people of obedience. We take what we know in the word of God, we apply it to our lives as we go through the bumps and the messiness and setbacks. God has given us pathways to, be, to repent, to confess and repent, to get back in the flow of his spirit over and over again. But it always comes in conjunction with this idea of obedience. And movement, I remember early as a, a young Christian wondering what is God doing in my life? How do, I, how do I know what this looks like? I'll never forget a pastor saying to me, it's easier to steer a car when it's moving than when it's parked. You ever notice that? I see some of you trying to turn that you know, 27 point turns out here in the parking lot. Uh, that's our parking lot's fault. But it's easier to steer a car when it's moving. And so as I was beginning to wonder what God did with my life, I had people say, well, what do you, what do you enjoy? Well, my father was a businessman, and so people said, well, maybe you should explore going to business, and so I, I did. I, I joined an organization called Junior Achievement. I don't know if it even still exists, but I went into this company as a young teenager thinking, I want to get into business. Saw a company turn around that was sinking. I became the CEO, and we won the most improved award, and people said, you need to go into business, and so I kept moving. I also love to talk. I'm, I know I'm a quiet, reserved person, but... Believe it or not, when I was a teenager, and I know that some of you that are sensitive are gonna feel for me here, people used to call me Motormouth Montgomery. (laughs) I mean, that was so hurtful. I think I'm gonna go back now and talk about that. Motormouth, I wore it with pride. Motormouth Montgomery, and so people said, you know, and some wise teacher said, you know, you gotta stop being the class clown. Let's put him into public speaking competitions. I loved it. I went into public speaking, and all along, I could see God nuancing, correcting, and just sort of leading me as I was moving forward. I was confused still about directly how God was leading me. About that time, God brought a man into my life who walked alongside of me, became a mentor, was a lovely Christian man, taught me how to know God, how to apply it to my life, memorize the word of God so it's in my heart, and I began to see that loving people is what I wanted to do. And so you can see how all these things came together, understanding basic business, loving to talk with people, loving coming alongside people. God is moving me, even as I am today, down a path that he would want me to go. I was told by some godly people, don't stand still, step out in faith, and God will guide you. And all along the way, I see it. And I think some of us are sitting out here just waiting. We're sitting here going, I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for that miracle. I don't know if my... Uh, Cheerios or my alphabet soup's going to line up and give me some big word to reveal something but it's as if we have our car parked and for many of us it's not only is it parked but the keys are completely out of the ignition maybe for you today all you need to hear is Psalm 119, 105 you know the verse your word is a lamp unto my feet and what? a light unto my path it's not a laser beam it's not daylight, it gives us just enough light to say I'm going to take the next right step And for some of you, that step of faith, that step of moving forward, saying, okay, I'm going to trust the Spirit, is to say, okay, what is one step that I can take? And we're going to step into that lit up area by his word, and we're going to see the next step that we can take. And if that's all you hear this morning, I think that's a great beginning for us to take a step of faith, and it begins by focusing on the things of God. What you're doing here this morning is fantastic. Getting into the word of God is an imperative. And here's a third thing that I think the Spirit, of, of, uh, that classifies us, the Spirit uses us, is people who are paying attention to the needs of others. People are paying attention to the needs of others. Think of how many times the disciples walked past this guy. In chapter four, they would say this lame man was over 40 years old. He must have been coming to that gate for many, many years, probably over 20 years. Think about it from the layman's perspective. He's waited a long time for God to move in his life. Why? I would submit because God had a bigger plan. God knew that on this day, 20 some odd years, after he'd been lying there, God wanted to answer his prayer now. Why now? Because God has eternity in mind and we have the temporary in mind. Do you ever notice that? When we pray, we keep looking at our watch. And the next day we get up and if God didn't answer, we even forget about ever praying that. We just kind of give up and we assume that maybe God doesn't work that way. And God says, my timing is perfect. God knew exactly what was going to happen when this man was healed. 5,000 people would be impacted by what God's spirit did through Peter and John as they were paying attention to the needs of others. Now, how hard is that to do in our culture? Turns out it's pretty hard to do that in our culture. Most of you run frantically from one appointment to the next. You know, I talked to a lot of you who are retired and you love to come to Scottsdale, and, and, and this is the most common phrase people give me. Man, I am so busy in retirement, I don't know how I ever had time to work, right? We just are wired in America that way, to be frantic, to get from point A to point B and leave just enough time I feel like just to keep up with my schedule in in a day takes everything in me. At night I drop, I sleep well, but there was so little time to be open to the needs of others. Have you been there in your own life? In fact, when interruptions come into my day, I get a little frustrated by them. That's why we need to pray that God would help us to pay more attention to the needs of others because ministry is not a destination as I so often mistakenly think that it is. Ministry is actually an opportunity. Do you realize that most of the time that Jesus did something miraculous, it was when he was interrupted on the way to some other place? Did you ever notice that in Jesus' life? I mean, he hardly set out to find someone. It was always on his way to something that someone interrupted his schedule. He was on the way to the cross when Bartimaeus, the blind man, calls out to him and Jesus stops on his way through Jericho with all that must have been consuming his mind and there's a, a, a little guy stuck in a tree. It used to be my favorite song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man because and my mother sung it in Scottish so she used wee for small and I was small so I loved that story about Zacchaeus but it was an interruption. On the way to teach the crowd, a synagogue ruler comes and says, I have a 12-year-old girl who's dying, and Jesus stops, and he goes. And guess what? As he's going to the synagogue ruler's house, a woman reaches out, touches his cloak. She'd been bleeding for years, and Jesus stops, an interruption on an interruption, if, if you will. He very rarely ever gets to his destination, and his life shows us that it's the interruptions that count, the interruptions that count. Henry Nouwen said, I used to get very frustrated when my work would get interrupted, and then I realized the interruptions were my work. And I'm ashamed when I look at the schedule that I, that I keep at times. You know, if the Spirit of God, I do allow for it, but it's Wednesday between 2.16 and 3.08 p.m., I can fit it in, but i got to schedule it. And I get ashamed at that." How many of us have scheduled time or loud flex on our schedule? Too often, my agenda takes so much time. that I don't have time to see God's agenda. We're so busy and into our schedules. No wonder that you come and you question, I don't see God. When you go through a hard time, where is God in this? And it's as if God's saying, I I can't even keep up to you. Your schedule is so busy. We're about 5,000 people or so that come here on a weekend, give or take 1,000. But let's say 5,000 people come to Scottsdale Bible Church each week. Can you imagine with me for a moment if just every one of us, 5,000, said, we're going to take care of one need this week. We're going to let one of those interruptions come through, and we're just going to address it, and we're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Maybe it's a hug, a card, just a conversation, a coffee, helping somebody with some resources. If we just did one a week, 5,000 of us, do the math in your head, I'll wait. In one week, how many people would we touch? 5,000, right? 5,000, correct me, am I right? Okay, 5,000 people, think about that for a minute. Now, if we did that for four weeks, now that people are gonna shrink back so less and less people know the answer, 5,000 people, one interruption, four weeks, 20,000 people's lives would be touched with the love of Jesus Christ. What if we did that one person a week for a year? Do you know we'd impact 260,000 lives in Scottsdale if we were just open to one interruption in a week? You see, the followers of Jesus were focused on the things of God. They were paying attention to the needs of others. And the third thing is they were willing to share what they had. They were willing to share what they had. Some of you are saying, well, I would allow that, but when somebody comes in my life, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. And uh, sometimes as a church, I think we've done a disservice. We've said, you've got to go through our seven books of discipleship and mentoring. You've got to know more. And we sort of create this generation of people who are waiters. We've got this smoldering fire, and we say, well, wait till you know more, because somebody might ask you the question about the Trinity, or they might ask you, well, why does God allow innocent people to suffer? And you're not gonna have the answer, so we wanna wait, and I think we've done a disservice in so many ways. Jesus simply said that, I think in Matthew 25, I say to you, as you did to the least of these, you've done it unto me. In other words, Jesus is saying, look at the needs that are in front of you, and as you are walking in obedience with me, and you're into my word and you're paying attention, I'm gonna nudge you a little bit. And the closer you are to me, the more you're gonna be kinda tuned in and you're gonna sense that that's actually my spirit. And if you have the means to meet a need that I'm nudging you to, that's probably the spirit. And you simply share what you have. Not everybody is a teacher, not everybody is an encourager, not everybody has the gift of hospitality, but it's clear in scripture that when you commit your life to Christ, he gives us and he prepares us with spiritual gifts and the filling of his spirit to do his work. Use what you have for the kingdom, step out in faith. Again, faith infers trust and then be bold. Jesus told us to love our neighbor. Parable of the Good Samaritan tells us who the neighbor is. Anyone that we see in need. And that it's going to cost us. You might want to jot down James 2.15 in the, in the outline or the, that you're taking this morning. Where, where James says, if a brother or a sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food. And one of you says to them, go in peace and be warm and be filled. Without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. You might be asking a critical question that I asked. If I let every interruption come into my schedule, I won't get any work done, (laughs) right? And there is a sense that God has given us a a, a work that we are to do, and there's a tension in trying to figure out what's my work and what is God's work, but I am convinced that as we focus on the things of God, as we're paying attention to needs in front of us, if we're willing to share what we have, I believe God is gonna show us or direct us to those interruptions that he wants to use us in. By learning to soak in his presence, so that we can serve not out of our own strength but out of the flow of His Spirit. Here's the last thing about the blueprint I wanna share with you today, and that is this, that the Spirit uses people who are willing to give God the credits. Focused on the things of God, paying attention to the needs of others, willing to share what you have, and lastly, and I think with a big exclamation mark, are you willing to give God the credit? Look at Acts 3, verse 11. It says, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety that we have made him walk? And then he goes on, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him but you denied the Holy and Righteous One and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses, and his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. You see, these guys knew that they didn't know the end from the beginning. They just went for it. And God chose sometimes to do miracles through them. If you follow all of Paul's ministry, it wasn't always that way, but he always did the miraculous thing of using us to be about changing lives. And it always begins with the changed life in us as the best proof of God's work. Are you ready to be used by God? Are you walking in the flow of that spirit? I used to coach football in Wisconsin for about 10 years and we would tell the kids, we want you to be on, if you're on the sidelines, you're not starting, we want you to be ready to go in. Helmet in your hand, standing right next to us. We're going to call your number once. You know, kids who didn't get a chance to start often saw the writing on the wall that they were never going to get into the game. And so many times they'd mess around on the sidelines and they would just goof off. And when their number was called, they wouldn't hear and they wouldn't get into the game. You had to pay attention. You see, when it comes to living my life in the Spirit of God, I want to be the guy with the helmet in his hand, ready to go. I don't want to get to the end of my life and realize that I was messing around in the sideline, and here's the kicker thinking I was actually playing the game. How many of us are playing the game at church? We come out and we try to fix it so it fits my, my preferences. And we're really not at all in tune to the God, our coach, saying I want to use you in a significant way and you've not been walking in obedience to me and so God wants to and will accomplish his work but he's simply going to do that through another faithful servant. You want to get a kick out of this? You want to see what you were created for? I challenge you to take that next right step of faith. I challenge you to look at things like Mountain Valley Campus. You knew it was coming around to this. It's all a big sales pitch. You know, when Karen and I went out to Northern California, we left a a really great church. Jamie was the pastor. We were working together. Our kids had a great ministry Had three boys. And I realized after we said yes to God, we get out there and I realized we control-alt-deleted our kids' lives. Some of us say, but our kids are plugged in. They're having fun. It's really great. But we knew that God wanted to take us and make the sacrifice. But the rewards are incredible. There's a great little church in this rural area of Northern California that's thriving because we said yes to God, no glory or credit to us, but God is doing something to people who say yes, and the results aren't always gonna be what we expect. Think of Peter and and John, what happened to these guys? They were arrested and harassed. They were interrogated, they were threatened, they were told not to talk about Jesus anymore, but wait a minute, 5,000 people came to know Christ through that experience who we're all gonna see in eternity. And so we've got to every day remind ourselves to have an eternal focus and not a temporary mindset, to have the kingdom in mind, and therein lies the battle we all have every day. How are you using your time? How are you using the resources God has given you? Not to fill you up, but to put into play for his kingdom. And that's a question for you and God, for something for you and your alone time to say, God, how do I take that next right step? And I guarantee you this, when you're walking in step with the spirit and you take that step of obedience, you're gonna see God's spirit show up in ways you never imagined. You're gonna see things happen in your life that you never thought could ever happen. And even though you may have written yourself off and you may be on cruise control and think you've got nothing, God has redeemed you. Remember that about your sin. It's forgiven. It's paid for. There's no condemnation. And now God wants to use you to be about his work. Are you willing to step in stride with him and walk in obedience. Will you pray with me? Father, this is uh, challenging because we can conceptualize you as God, the omnipotent, all-powerful creator. We can understand Jesus, who was a historical figure that we can study, but the Spirit is living in us and changing us, and that becomes very, very personal. And so, God, I pray that you'd help us, help us to trust you, Help us to, when we trust you, to see the work of your hand that it is good and that you are who you said you were. Lord, there are some of us that are here this morning that are just struggling, going through the grind of life. I pray that your spirit would just manifest your presence. Maybe it's through just an overwhelming sense of peace. Maybe it's through bringing another brother or sister in Christ alongside of them. Maybe it's just a, a greater sense from your word as they study that what you're going to do. That Maybe it's seeing the bigger picture of eternity in mind. But God, I pray that to a person in this room, you'd help us to walk with you moment by moment throughout every day and then to celebrate and to give you the credit as we see how you use us to reach a dying world for Jesus. And we'll praise you for all of these things. In your son's name we ask it, amen.